0: Good morning, church. It's a joy to worship the Lord together. Thank you, uh, Brother Ray and the music team and the AV team uh, for orchestrating beautiful musical worship. They took our Savior. They took Christ. They slammed a crown of thorns on his head. Blood flowed down his brow. They crucified him. They drove nails through his wrist and through his ankles, through his feet, and he bled. And if you were there to see that, I mean, not only is it horrifying, but you look upon this man and you ask the question, how can this be God? How could a divine being bleed? What's in the blood? How could he bleed? And it's only after his resurrection that we realize that the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. In a world of ideas, Jesus uses these offensive, cannibalistic-sounding words: that you you need to eat my flesh, you need to drink my blood. And when he does that, he's not just offering food for thought. Rather, he is offering himself as a word to consume. But if you were there among the crowds when he spoke these words, apart from the cross and apart from the resurrection, and unless you were one of his 12 disciples where he's actually giving you commentary, you and I, we too would not understand. So to wrap up the last part of Jesus' Bread of Life discourse, that's what we're going to do today. It's the conclusion of his discourse that caused so many people to walk away from him because these words didn't make sense. Like I mentioned, it sounds cannibalistic and seemingly offensive, but our Lord was simply using a metaphor. And the Jews of all people should have made the connection. When they heard his metaphor, they of all people, not the Gentiles, but they of all people, they should have been able to decipher the meaning But for many of them, they thought that Jesus was giving them just food for thought. But actually, He was giving them literal words to feast upon. And so I've entitled our message today, Words to Feast Upon. Words to Feast Upon. And today, we're going to see three interpretive keys to consuming Jesus' metaphor. Three keys that are necessary to receive Jesus' hard teaching. And the entire time, I just want you to think about these words the life is in the blood, my life is in the blood, the life is in the blood, the life is in the blood. The first interpretive key is the context for consuming his words. If you're going to understand his metaphor, you need to have the context for consuming his words. And the Jews should have had this context, but for some reason they could not make the connection So if you have God's Word, meet me in John chapter 6, starting in verse 51. John chapter 6, starting in verse 51, where we're going to see the first interpretive key, which is the context for consuming His words, literally eating His words. You're not going to eat it unless you have the context. And so let me read you first verses 51 to 53. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven Now go to verses 54 to 56. I want you to see the same things repeated. And no, this is not some horror movie. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. If you you were mistaken, if you thought I wasn't talking about my body, listen again, for whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So Jesus repeats himself just in case they missed it. I want you just to pause here for a moment. I'm going to read a few more verses in a moment. It's going to say the very same thing. But we've seen over the past two weeks that Jesus used the the phrase bread of life as a metaphor. Bread symbolizes our basic needs, we've explained. Uh, And so if you're joining us, For the very first time this week, we've explained that bread symbolizes our basic and spiritual needs in life. But just like bread is perishable and finite, Jesus uses the metaphor to say you need a spiritual reality. You need spiritual bread, which is imperishable, which He offers Himself. And so if you trust in the words of Jesus Christ, which leads to He Himself, the person of Christ and His work, then you receive this spiritual bread that leads to eternal life. And eventually, His bread is pointing towards the cross, but here he gets a lot more graphic. He gets a lot more explicit, and he takes it to a new level. So whereas a a metaphor for spiritual bread is palatable, when now he's repeating that this is his body and drinking his blood, that that becomes offensive. Now I want you to go to verses 57 to 59, and you can see the very same thing. I mean, there's not much to explain other than we got to explain these offensive words, but it's literally lots of verses saying the exact same thing. Once again, verse 57. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, are you really saying we need to eat you, Jesus? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died that's in the wilderness, the manna. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. That's the key. Verse 59, look at it carefully. Once again, so, so you look at what Jesus is saying. You've got to feed on me. So I've highlighted those. You've got to feed on me. He's teaching not the Gentiles. He's teaching the Jews. These are Jews who, like you, they got stuck in their Bible reading plan. They didn't have that many books to read, but in Leviticus. So they knew the commands. They knew the commands. They knew the Old Testament. But there was something else that's happening. You have to understand the occasion, the context, right? you got to understand what day it is. I'm wearing certain colors because I'm a a Los Angeles Chargers fan. I'm not a Rams fan. Let those who have eyes to see, let you see. You've got to know the occasion. There was an occasion in the beginning of John chapter 6. So it tells you something about loyalty, okay? But John chapter 6, it tells you that now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. What did the Jews do during the Passover? They ate the flesh of a lamb, and they drank wine. But what did that wine symbolize? The blood of the Passover lamb. And so this is in Capernaum. This is not in Jerusalem. But these people are listening to Jesus in the synagogue. And so they too would celebrate the Passover. And as Jesus is talking of all people, not the Gentiles, these Jews... Should have been able to make the connection. Make the connection. He fed the multitudes like the manna. He's been referencing the manna in the wilderness, so it brings you into the Pentateuch, into the first five books of the Bible. They're there celebrating. He's referring to himself as, as, as a true and better Moses. Well, he didn't say that specifically. That's why I got stuck on my words. But everything about what he's doing is he's pointing to himself as the true and better Moses, offering a true and better exodus. And so if you understand now that he's saying eating the flesh and drinking the blood, you should understand the occasion, the Passover. And they should have been familiar. But just in case they were blind to the occasion, there was a prophet, the Elijah figure, John the Baptist, who came. And John the Baptist went everywhere preaching, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So where is the blood of the Passover lamb was shed? That every Israelite who took shelter under the blood of the lamb, that when the judgment of God and the angel of death went over Egypt, their lives were spared and they were in a sense saved. And because of that, Pharaoh says, you can go. And so Israel experienced the first exodus. Now the spiritual exodus that Jesus offers is that he is the true and better Passover lamb that he is the Lamb of God when his blood is shed and you take shelter under his blood, you will be saved from the judgment of God. But they could not make the connection for those of you who understand, Tim Keller wasn't there to preach to them. (laughs) They they could not make the connection that Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb. So when you consider the context of the Passover, Jesus is the true and Passover lamb. That's what he's saying. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood means to receive him and his redemptive work, to receive him as the one who offers a better sacrifice. He is the true and true and better Passover lamb, and, and he is the one that offers a better redemptive work, and he offers a better exodus. He is the true and better Moses. And so they're sitting there or, or listening to him in the synagogue, and none of this is making sense to them. But now I want to get to an illustration where you and I can all understand. When you look at a plate of buffalo wings, maybe this afternoon, or nachos, you can look at it, you can look at it, you can look at it, but until you eat it, you're not going to get, you're not going to receive it. Now you might have indigestion, indigestion afterwards, but you're, you're not going to receive it. You're just looking at it. You're just looking at it, right? And so I mentioned that a little bit last week, but when you consider that they're looking at the Lamb of God until they eat, until they trust and receive and take Him in and consume Him by faith. Now what happens when you eat? When you eat something, I hope you guys are discerning, when you eat something, it's, you're actually exercising faith. Who says people aren't religious? Every time you eat, something is happening. This is not going to kill me. And th- this is going to taste okay. And I trust that it's going to be okay. So, so we exercise faith every single day. Whenever you put something in your mouth, you, if, if you're, you, know, you take out a bag of snacks, you're probably going to exp- expiration date. Maybe for some of you, allergies, you've got to look at the ingredients okay? But at the end of the day, whatever you put in your mouth, you're exercising faith. And Jesus is saying you have to exercise faith. You have to take it in. You can't just look at it. If you, if you just look at the bread of life, nothing will happen. Now, before we move on, I want to make it clear that there's some debate in the history of the church, but most conservative modern scholars will argue that john chapter 6 is not talking about the lord's supper and actually i didn't know that you know it it, be, it, it it was there was some time uh since you know i had seriously studied uh you know this passage so actually when i was cutting up the the passage in the schedule uh when we were in the bread of life passage i was like perfect it, it was lord's supper a couple of weeks ago i was like, perfect i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do this thing where i'm gonna talk about the bread of life then i'm gonna pick up the bread and i was gonna say hey pastor albert can we do communion after the sermon that week and then i did the study i said oh da carson oh leon morris oh macarthur oh none of you oh piper oh none of you take this as the lord's supper but john calvin did oh what happened and so i did more study and more study and i realized oh okay here's the reasons here's what i found all of the New Testament language used to describe the Lord's Supper speaks of partaking His body, and it's a different word in the Greek. It's not flesh. It's not the word used for flesh. In other words, every single time the body of Christ is referred to in the communion, it's always a different Greek word, okay? Um, secondly, both words here, eat and drink, when you look at the original Greek language, it's, they're both in the aorist tense. The aorist tense re- Refers to a one-time action, a once-and-for-all action that is not to that with with uh, ongoing ramifications, but that action is not to be repeated. So, for example, Jesus died on the cross; he doesn't have to die over and over again. But when you look at the passages, and it talks about the Lord's Supper, eat and drink, they're not in the Eucharist. It's meant to be repeated over and over again. You are to eat and drink, eat and drink over and over. So this is talking about a eat and drink, a one, once and for all action, not repeated, right? That would, and, and so if it's talking about the communion, it needs to be a different tense. That, and by the time John's gospel went into circulation, John was the last gospel writer to write that the church was already practicing the Lord's Supper. So if John wanted to refer to the Lord's Supper, he would have made it clear. And so for those reasons, I don't think that John Calvin is wrong, obviously. (laughs) I love the man. But I think it's okay, right? So if if you think that this is talking about the Lord's Supper, I think you have a lot of history behind you. But I think that's why we did not preach it as referring to the Lord's Supper, okay? Um, But either, either way you want to stand, I don't think it should be a dividing manner but either way back in the text now many in the crowds they did not have the spiritual ears to hear so they were naturally offended by these hard teachings of jesus and they didn't know they didn't know that he was referring to his upcoming crucifixion and then his resurrection so they did not have the context they they were in the context but they did not have an understanding of the context that he is talking about the future true and better passover okay the second interpretive key that they did not have, that we need to have to understand these metaphors is the capacity. The capacity for consuming his words. The capacity for consuming his words. And so I want you to see this in verses 60 to 67. The capacity for consuming his words. Now notice verses 60 to 63 first. This is what John says. When many of his disciples, now we need to define that. And I will define it for you in a moment. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So now he turns to his disciples, not just the 12, but the people who had been following him. Not just the crowds now. These are the disciples. And he says, you guys have been following me. Who can listen to it? And so Jesus, knowing that they're grumbling, said, do you take offense at this? Are you offended by my language? Then verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Meaning he's saying, wait until that day. What if you were to see me ascend back into heaven? Then will you believe? Then verse 63, it is, and this is the capacity it is the capital S, Spirit, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So now he's making it real clear. You need to eat my flesh. You need to eat my word. My word talks about me and myself, right? And it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to help you understand. So you, unless you have the Holy Spirit, you have, you're in the context, but you don't get it. Right? You're, in, you're celebrating the Passover, but you can't see that I'm the Passover lamb. And you're not going to understand my words, and my words are going to be offensive to you, Jesus is saying, unless the Spirit of God gives you the capacity to understand it. But here's where things can be confusing. And, and I wish that John was a little more clear, but John is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I'm not, so let's just trust him. Here's where it's confusing. Jesus is saying, eat my flesh, eat my flesh. Is that a good thing? Flesh is positive, right? You eat the flesh of Jesus, positive. You and I, we read the Apostle Paul, and flesh is always negative. The sinful flesh. The flesh causes you to sin. And here, John is saying, right, that Jesus is saying the flesh is negative. So which is it? So you're telling us to eat your flesh, and you're saying now that the flesh is no help at all. So what's going on here? So just to make it easy, so when Jesus is talking about his flesh, positive. This one, it's it's talking not about sinful flesh per se. Okay, This is talking about the human realm. And so just to understand what he's saying is that all he's saying is that if you try to understand Jesus with the lens of the material world, you are going to be confused. If you're just seeing things in light of what's perishable and what's worldly, meaning you can use all of the human knowledge and science and your interpretive abilities, you're not going to get Jesus Christ. You're not going to get it. And so, so let's just say you're not yet a Christian and you're reading all these books and hearing all these arguments, that's still not going to convince you to become a Christian unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. That's what he's saying. He's saying it is the Spirit who gives you life to understand his words, all of the capacity that you can have in terms of human ability, the flesh, the human ability, the human flesh by itself is no help at all. Okay, so that's all he's saying. We need the Holy Spirit. Now you go to verse 64. It says, but there are some of you who do not believe. And then John gives you the parenthetical, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So he sees all these people following him, and he's like, you guys are just fans of my miracles. You guys are the true followers. There's a bunch of you following me, but not all of you are true disciples. Not all of you are true disciples. And in verse 65, it says, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is first granted to him by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, which means they weren't disciples to begin with. Now, this is where, again, it's confusing, right? Because when you and I talk about a disciple, the definition of a disciple is a Christ follower. The definition of a genuine Christian is a Christ follower. This is not someone who just says they believe in Jesus, but with their life, they follow Jesus. So when you and I use that language today, And we say, who is the disciple of Jesus Christ? We're talking about someone who is a genuine follower. A person who last week, it says, that the Father keeps it, that he will not lose a single one. So when you and I speak of a disciple today, this is a genuine Christian. But here, here, this is before Jesus died on the cross to secure the salvation of his people. This is before the resurrection. This is before the gospel is even complete yet. There are some disciples who are not true believers. They're following him in a general sense of the disciples. And it says very clearly here, he says, I know some of you, you're following me, but you don't believe. And I know which ones of you believe. And then in verse 66, this is really sad. After this, many, not just a few, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So you see that language of turning. The word repentance means to turn. Turn your life turn your heart turn away from a life of sin turn away from your lifestyle and turn towards jesus and follow him and it says and walk there's a spiritual meaning here your way of life your walk your christian walk and so you have this is so sad so last week we had that heartbreaking message about people who follow jesus at one point and and then they turned away And we prayed and we talked about some of our loved ones and some of our children. And here you have it that many of these who were quote-unquote generally disciples, they were exposed to Christ and His miracles and His teaching. And they were actually following Him. That after hearing these offensive words, that for some reason they did not have the capacity to consume, meaning they looked at the food and they're like, I can't eat it. They looked at the food and Jesus says, you got to eat it you got to take me in. you got to believe me. Now, here's where we understand. Sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, hey, Jesus loves me. I like that. Jesus died for sinners. I like that. Ooh, Canaanite genocide, it seems like. I don't like that. Oh, predestination. I don't like that. Oh, oh, oh. this convicts my sin. I don't like that. You see, the hard teachings of Jesus, this is the test for who is truly a Christian. Because the natural man, I am not offended or shocked when a non-Christian friend says, that is so offensive, I don't believe it. Because they don't have the Spirit's capacity. But the test of the true believer is you don't just receive the easy teachings of Jesus. And we don't just preach the easy teachings of Jesus. But when I read Judges, I mean, it's offensive. I'm reading this, are you serious, God? I read Leviticus. I said, this is ridiculous. Really? That tedious? But at the end of the day, this is the test of our faith. You see it. Will you take it in? Will you believe it? Will you believe the hard teachings of Jesus that are not popular with culture? When it comes to God-assigned gender and sex at birth. When it comes to what the Bible says about marriage, culture doesn't like that. When it even says words where we know it's not meant to be subjugation, but where it says husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives submit to your husbands. And we read that, we're like, oh, what, what happened to equality? Well, it's not talking about inequality. You've got to understand the context. So there's a lot in our Bible that culture is not going to like and want, and they're not going to eat it. They can say, but they're not going to take it in. And now we see today that there's even a lot of professing believers who maybe were following church life or a Christian program or their understanding of the nice Jesus. At the same time, there's some people who are wrong. They just want to see the mean Jesus. Right? They hold up signs and say everyone's going to hell. Right? And, and so you see two extremes. But for you and me, are we willing to look at all of the Bible? And so when you look at the hard teachings, don't run away from it eat it. And what you do is get together with your small group, with some friends and say, this is a really hard teaching. Can we study together? Because I really want to understand it. And that's the test of the genuine believer. If you can look at all of scripture and receive it and eat it, that's a sign that you are a true believer. Because that's exactly what's happening is that they're like, Jesus, I like the miracle stuff. I like what you said there. I like how you have authority. I like how your teaching is different from the Pharisees and the scribes. But I don't like what you said here. I don't like what you said here. That is too offensive for me. They did not have the capacity. So many who were superficially following him, they did not have true conversion. They walked away and they weren't genuine disciples. And so that's where we have to understand that there is great value in studying the hard teachings. This is also why our, our uh, church practices expository preaching, which means uh, there are times like the renewal series or senior pastor series where we choose to go and uh, address certain topics. But uh, there's a lot of churches that whatever's popular, whatever's going on in the world, uh, the pastor just responds to it. You know, and that's okay, you know, I, I guess. Or, or they're constantly choosing topics because it's entertaining, You know, people want to come and they want to hear five principles about life or something like that. So whatever, go get people in the seats. But expository preaching is when you pray about, you know, what may be the best thing that will apply to the most people and you choose a book of the Bible and you just go verse by verse by verse by verse. And inevitably, you're going to go to 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 a passage where it's not popular, it's not easy, and nobody cares about it. But you preach it, trusting that, hey, God's people need to hear all of it. God's people need to hear, they, they, they need to hear the boring passages to some of you. They need to hear the hard passages. They need to hear it. And they need to learn it. They need to eat it. And so that's, that's a pastor in a church that's surrendered to God's word and trusting that God's word will feed the flock and not necessarily entertainment or whatever itching ears want to hear. And, and so this is another reason why we have to teach the whole counsel of God. Because there are things in the Bible and there are passages that I, Hanley, don't want to preach. And there are hard passages that I struggle to preach, but the Word of God forces us to be passionate about it and to preach all of His Word because God's people need to eat all of His Word, even the hard stuff, and not shy away from it or just go with what's popular. Okay, So the first two interpretive keys that they did not have and that's why they walked away from him and they could not understand his difficult metaphor is that they, they were in the context, but they didn't have the right context. They didn't understand the context of the Passover lamb and they didn't have the proper capacity. They didn't have the Holy Spirit to understand the harder teachings. Now, the third interpretive key is something that results from eating his word. That his 12 disciples, 11 of them get it because they had made a confession. And so that's the, th- that's the third one is confession from consuming his words. There's a confession that comes from con- con- uh, consuming his words. Let me show you this. In other words, the Holy Spirit allows them to receive the words of Christ because they have they had been converted at some point. Okay, let me show you where the Bible says this. Verse 67. So Jesus he looked at the 12 now. So now you see there's the greater group of disciples, many who followed him and many walked away. Now he turns to his 12 disciples, the 12. And so we know there's Judas, so 11 of them believe, and Jesus said to them, do you want to go away as well? I mean, can you imagine Jesus, all these people following him, they just like unfollow him on Twitter and Instagram, whatever, they just cancel Jesus. So now he turns to his only friends, 12 of them, and he says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, oh Simon, Simon, the one who speaks too quickly. But here he's right. And he's true. And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. So he's like, we, we want your words. We get it. We know you're talking about eternal life with the bread of life. And verse 69 is where I want to spend some time. I want you to especially look at the tense. It's not, we will believe. Or we believed. Or we always believed in you, Jesus. What are you talking about we're going to walk? We always believed in you. Or we are believing. What does this say? And we have processed, we have come to believe. We have believed and have come to know. This this word, have believed, and have come to believe, both of these verbs are in the perfect tense. Perfect tense. And I'm going to get a little nerdy, but you have to understand that the beauty of the biblical language here, because here's where it's important. The perfect tense in the biblical Greek, it means a complete verbal action that occurred in the past, but has, has produced a state of being Now, let's start preaching the gospel here. It's a completed action with results in the present. The reason why these people are walking away because they've never been converted. You see, there is a point in your life where you, you've been in church or you're listening to preaching or you're having conversation, you're studying the Bible, and there has to be conversion. There has to be a point. There has to be a point where there's a completed verbal action in your heart. There has to be a point where you have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. There has to be a point where the Spirit has changed your heart and where you have that finished action of conversion that is producing your present confession. Does that make sense? It is producing an ongoing confession. So when Jesus says, Peter, are you going to walk away too? And Jesus, and Peter is essentially saying, we have believed. We've been converted. We didn't get it. We're still learning. We're still learning what it means to be a Christian, but we have believed, finished, verbal action, and it's producing my present confession that you are the Holy One of God. The only reason why I am confessing and we are confessing that you are God is because there was a point where we finally believed. There was a finished action in our hearts that's producing my present confession. So application. Last week we were talking, why is it that there were those loved ones of ours, people who grew up in the church, and they were exposed to to programs and ministry and the Bible, and some of them even baptized, going through the religious motion. Some of them confessed, and our hearts break, and we pray for them, but we question whether or not the perfect tense that ever happened in their lives? Was there ever a point where they were genuinely turned and converted in their hearts? And that's why right now they don't have a present confession. And that's why we need to pray for the work of the Spirit. And so I I believe then, the question I have for you this morning is have you experienced genuine conversion? If you haven't, that may explain why it's hard to receive God's word. It's hard to eat God's word when you haven't experienced it. And it may explain why you're having a hard time receiving the harder biblical teachings for some of you. Because if you've believed completed action, then genuine belief produces results that will stand the test of every trial. So when you take a believer, when you take a believer and they've gone through church and they've gone through ministry and they've been discipled and when you put them out into the world and the world throws all kinds of temptation money sex power that genuine disciple will continue to make the present confession of christ and they will continue to pursue christ they will struggle they will be tempted but in the end they will continue in their faith why because the perfect tense happened because they were converted and yes i'm saying a hard truth this morning a lot of people who are in church no longer believe or have walked away because they were never saved to begin with. And that's hard. That's hard to receive. That's hard to take. That's harder for a pastor because we feel some responsibility. You know, did, did we not say the right things? Could we have not have done better? But that's the reality. I think a sadder reality is just knowing that in the last year, there are some who went online, and when all is said and done, and when COVID hits endemic, we we know that it's not so much that they've transferred to other churches. If they have, then God bless them. You know, they're in the Lord, but some will never come back, meaning when they were sitting with us before, maybe they never believed. And so, so those are heartbreaking realities, but this verse speaks to it, that people have come to know that Jesus is the Son of God, now, finally, in verses 70 and 71, I want you to see this. And Jesus, he knows about Judas. And so he, he answered them. He says, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you as the devil? That's scary. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Now, let me speak to you as Christians. I believe that so you guys can talk to me about this afterwards if you come from a different tradition. I do not believe that a Christian can be demon-possessed, but Christians can be attacked by demons. Only a non-Christian can be filled with demons. If the Holy Spirit has sealed your heart, a demon cannot enter. If the Word of God is active in your heart, that is how Jesus combated Satan. The, The demons hate the Word of God. The more scripture you have and meditate on, The demons, they can come, but that's how you fight them, the Word of God. When Judas betrays Jesus, so Jesus gives him the bread that night when he goes, it says in John 13, 27, it tells us that Satan enters Judas. So here you have one of the 12 disciples following Jesus, close to Jesus, the treasurer of Jesus Jesus' ministry, and he's not converted. That's the only way Satan enters. How about Peter? Peter, you know how Peter betrays Jesus temporarily? What does Jesus say to Peter? Satan is going to sift you like wheat. That's the Christian. The, The enemy can mess you up like Job. The enemy can come and attack you and cause you to fall temporarily. But the enemy, the demons, cannot enter you if you're sealed with the Spirit. So this Judas, he was never converted. He, he never truly believed that Jesus allowed him to follow for Jesus' sovereign purposes. And that's why Jesus says, yet one of you is the devil because the devil is going to work through Judas. The, the devil is going to actually come into Judas, but we know that ultimately God is sovereign over this, that somebody needs to betray Jesus as part of the plan. In verse 71, he says, He spoke of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him, was going to betray Jesus. And in, in an honor-shame culture like Judaism, especially in the New Testament world, for, a, for someone as close of a disciple to Jesus to betray their master is shameful shameful dishonorable and that's judas he betrayed jesus because he was filled with the devil so again it talks about what the spirit it allows you to do the spirit seals the true believer remember i mentioned life is in the blood life is in the blood today i i want to give you the big idea at the end but i want to begin preaching the gospel to you now When you read Leviticus, some of you are in your Bible reading plans, when you read Leviticus, to keep yourself alive, you want to always be asking the question, where did Jesus fulfill this? Because if Jesus is perfect, meaning he obeyed the law, Jesus, you you fulfilled all this? You actually kept all of this, how? And not so much extra Jesus, like throwing Jesus in the text when he's not there, but where does something point towards Jesus? Jesus. You see, how this connects to our sermon is that these Jews are in the synagogue. They are offended by Jesus because they know the law. They knew the law, but they did not have a crystal-centric hermeneutic. They did not have Christ-centered preaching. They did not know how to read the Bible in its original context and then apply it like what we want to do to you every Sunday teach you how to read the Bible in its original context then in light of how it points towards Christ. Let me show you. Why would they be offended by Jesus? And here's where you relate to them. You and I would be offended too. These aren't pagans. They knew the law. Look at what it says. Leviticus 17, to 12. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Preaching the gospel here. And I I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, when I read that to you, you can either hear Jesus or you can hear Moses. You can hear Jesus or you can hear Moses. If you hear Moses, it reads like this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for for the life. You hear that you need to take an animal. Therefore, I've said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger or wh- whose soldiers among you eat blood. And right there I said, okay, I guess Chinese people can apply that. Because we eat that like that dim sum. You guys eat that blood, that b- blood, right? You, and, and we eat medium rare steak. I was listening to a podcast. I, don't, 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 don't follow me on this. It was Ben Shapiro and somebody was asking him, hey, you lo- you love meat how do you Jews, Orthodox Jews, eat meat? Isn't it? And, and he says, oh yeah, um, they salt the thing to get all the blood out. So, so they don't like dry up the meat, they just salt it up. Interesting, that's a salty piece of meat that even Orthodox Jews today, they, they don't eat blood. They don't eat blood. You hear Moses or you hear Jesus? Now listen to Jesus. For the life of the flesh is in my blood. And I've given it to you on the altar of the cross to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood, it is my blood that makes atonement by the life. Do you hear Jesus? How many of you guys have fallen asleep in Leviticus now? You you hear Jesus calling to you from the Old Testament? The, The Old Testament coming alive? Look at Leviticus. Look at Leviticus 14, 17 verse 14. For the life of every creature is in its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Jesus repeats himself because the Old Testament repeats itself. As many times as they heard the law, Jesus has to repeat it to them. You need to eat my flesh. You need to drink my blood. You guys don't get it. You're not seeing it. You're not seeing it. You're not seeing it. You're not hearing it. When you see someone dying, you want to stop the bleeding because the life is in the blood. When you see someone bleeding, it breaks your heart because they can bleed to death. When you take an animal and you sacrifice it, that animal's blood had to be shed because the life. So basically, if you're paying for sin and you're paying for life, you can't just put an animal on there. The blood needs to be shed because the blood represents the life that's given and exchanged. And so when we look at Jesus, say, Jesus, why'd you have to bleed? Why'd you have to die? Couldn't you just come, son of God, and declare yourself king and us forgiven? No, we deserve to die. The life of sin, our life is in our blood. And instead of us being put on the cross, his life is in the blood. His life In exchange for ours, his life was put on the cross. He had to bleed. The life is in the blood. And so Jesus says that to us the eternal life of my flesh is in my blood. Now you get it. I am the bread of life, my life that I want to give to you. The only way, where is my eternal life? It's in my blood. I've lived the perfect life, Jesus says. I've obeyed Leviticus. i obeyed the word. I'm going to die the perfect death. And my blood needs to be given to you because my life is in the blood. That's what I'm saying. You want the life, the eternal life. And I've given it to you on the altar of the cross to make atonement for your souls. For it is my blood that makes atonement for your sin. Eternal life is in the blood. That's what he means. So the big idea of this morning's passage is consume christ in his every word and his every word for true life comes through the blood that he shed for our sin that's what he means he's the true and better passover lamb when he says you must eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood eat my flesh you got to receive my word you got to believe it take it in you got to believe me you can't just don't be offended by it take it in believe it And you've got to take shelter under the blood. You've got to believe in my death and resurrection, Jesus says. Consume Christ in His every word, for true life comes through the blood that He shed for our sin. In other words, take Christ into your heart because the eternal life He offers is in His blood. Now, to land this thing home, just a few things for you to think about. You know, many walk away because they consume programs, but not Christ. Ministry programs are good for us in the sense that whether it's a fellowship, a small group, a Bible study, a Sunday school, outreach events, ministry programs are good. But apart from Christ, you know that there's many who have gone through our programs and they're not walking with the Lord today. Programs don't save, Jesus does. And we need to make sure that in all of our programs, we're pointing people to Christ and that Christ is exalted and, and, and proclaimed. Many walk away because they consume programs but not Christ. I pray that we would all consume the the beautiful benefits of ministry programs, but we would also do so through the lens and purpose of Christ. Many walk away because they consume preaching, but not Christ. Now, I know there's not. I'm not saying this is wrong, but a lot of people love principled preaching. This is where, today I give you five ways to have a better marriage. How many of you guys know those five principles, yet marriage still struggles? The the principles are good, they help you, but you're still gonna fight, you're still gonna have problems. Five ways to succeed in life. Five reasons for spiritual health, right? Five ways to do this. How do you do that? Principles from the Bible. Trust God. Principles from the Bible. Principles are good, but principles are like Leviticus. The the Jews of Jesus says they had the principle, but they were blind to Christ. And so what we need to do is we need to consume preaching. There's so many people who hear preaching and stories and principles, but those preachings are not proclaiming Christ. And so all of scripture is unlocked and makes sense to the soul when it's points people to Christ. And so that's why we always need to read our scriptures through the lens of a crystal-centric hermeneutic. And so if you haven't learned that, it's great. The first thing you need to learn is to understand the principles based on a sound original context. What did it mean in its original audience? But a second step is how does that passage or point tie you to the larger story of scripture to point you to the person who can actually save you and help you apply that principle, right? So preaching needs to be consumed, but not just preaching, you need Christ-centered preaching. Many walk away because they've consumed preaching, good preaching, but not Christ in the preaching. Many walk away thirdly and lastly because they've consumed principles, but not Christ, and I already mentioned that, programs, preaching, principles. That's what our church does. We do a lot of programs, we do a lot of preaching, we stand on a lot of principles, conservative principles, but what we need is Christ. And every, all of those things, programs, preaching, principles, and you point towards Christ. May we be people who consume not just the shadows of programs and preaching and principles, but the substance of Christ himself. So consume Christ and his every word for true life comes through the blood that he shed for our sin. Let me pray for us. Father, as we stand and sit before you today, Lord, help us to see all of Scripture especially the harder portions of Scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we've seen in this hard passage and we've talked about over the past two weeks, that many are exposed to you, even walking closely to you, but, but unless you convert us, unless you seal us by the Spirit, people will walk away and even allow the devil to come into them. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would save souls this morning. If if there's anybody in here today who needs to receive you for real or who's watching online or listening later who needs to receive you for real, will you do the work that you can only do? And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to love you. Help us to see, Lord, that our life must be in your blood, that our life is in the blood of Christ. Our life is under the blood of Christ. Our life flows because you are the lifeblood of our souls, Lord. Become the lifeblood in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.